Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Matthew Peter, QIC's Chief Economist, and today I'm joined by Michael O'Brien, Managing Director of QIC's Global Real Estate. And today we'll be exploring the impact of COVID-19 on market conditions in retail real estate and what that means for the Australian shopping centre industry. So welcome to you, Michael. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Well, look, Michael, the sudden lockdown of the global economy uh, in late March of 2020, it really dramatically altered the economic landscape. And within the retail sector, many physical stores at least closed uh, temporarily, and that forced customers onto online platforms, which saw quite a dramatic spike in uh, e-commerce penetration rates and, and a fall, of course, in brick and mortar sales. So, Michael, I'd like to know what's your take on that increase uh, in online penetration rates that we've seen? Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's a really um, interesting point, and we've been seeing that for you know several years now, and it's it really top of mind for everyone involved in the industry, including our our investors. And you know, there has obviously been a lot of concern by investors globally around uh, online shopping and its impact on brick and mortar or, or physical retailing. But you know, I think it's important to appreciate that. It's not really an either or, and this is something that it's really, I think it's really worth reinforcing that, uh, you know, what we're seeing is that it's the combination of both distribution channels working, I guess, kind of synergistically that provides the strongest business model for most retailers. And we hear that consistently from our retailer partners in our discussions with them. What they really want to have is a vibrant and ongoing physical presence they want to be in the best assets where they can generate you know, strong sales and, and high levels of sales productivity. But they want to supplement that with a, a really vibrant and growing online presence. And in most cases, one distribution channel, one you know, either online or physical, is not growing at the expense of the other. What we're seeing is that the retailers with the strongest omni-channel formats are growing their customer base as a result of having that model as a result of having a really strong physical presence and as a result of having a, a growing and a vibrant online presence. And I think that's really that model that that's really becoming the, the most established, successful retailing format across most categories now, that Omni model, is particularly relevant in Australia. So we obviously have a smaller population base than some of our countries that we see you know, in the Northern Hemisphere. Our geographic spread makes the cost of online delivery expensive. So it's very difficult in Australia to generate sufficient volumes to make a pure play online operation profitable. So I see online retailing really, and I think our retailers do as well, as an opportunity for them to create stronger, more sustainable businesses. And so the retailers who are successfully developing that model are growing. They want more physical sites, often with larger store footprints. But they want to be in the best assets. And I think that's a really important point as well. They don't want to be in centres that you know, have low levels of productivity. They may be in very challenged demographics. They, they want to concentrate their portfolio in the best, highest quality assets. And fortunately, that's exactly where our portfolio is positioned. So, Michael, it's not online sales penetration rates per se that are the main issue. It's really about how retailers adapt their business models to omni-channel. Michael, can you give us some examples of which retailers and categories are using the omni-channel model most successfully? JB Hi-Fi. Everybody knows JB Hi-Fi. Fantastic retailer 
you know, really shot the lights out over the last 12 months. It's interesting that 80% of their customers begin their purchase experience online. So they do all their researching online, but then 80% of their customer base actually transact in store. So it's it's the store experience. It's the ability to, you know, walk out with the product rather than waiting for delivery. It's the cost because often you're paying for a cost of delivery. So it's lower costs buying in store. It's experience offered by the, the store, but also the broader experience you can get in, in centre. That's a really interesting experience of how their business model has evolved and the importance of their physical footprint combined with their with their online. The other one I think that's really interesting is restaurants, right? So, you know, restaurants have, have done extremely well dining generally in, in our assets, and this has been a trend for some time. But if you look at, you know, their business, obviously, when you're going to a restaurant, you're sitting down and eating. So it's not really, it's the opportunity to have an online experience is extremely minimal in that case. But they, most restaurants have really grown their customer base by using the um, online delivery businesses, such as uh, Uber Eats and Menulog. And so they've combined an online platform with a physical experience to grow their, their customer base. Um, so the, the amount of um, business that they can generate from a restaurant is substantially increased as a result of that online option. So what does that mean for us? It means that they often will have you know, more significant kitchen needs, which is how they can service that online delivery requirement. So for me, you know, the evolution of online is an opportunity for us as landlords if you can provide retailers with a physical space that really optimises that omni-channel model that they're pursuing. So you're really challenging there, Michael, the uh, prevailing narrative uh, about online sales, which is that it's a zero-sum game with brick and mortar. It's either brick and mortar sales or it's online sales. Your thesis is that they're complementary and really uh, good retailers are exploiting both channels to increase sales. That takes me to an issue around what's the driver then of the retail sector currently in it points more that narrative of yours to the overarching uh, strength in consumer spending. And looking at the macro data, we've, we're seeing a booming consumer. And if you had have asked me back in uh, April of March of last year, would you expect retail sales now to be 10% higher than they were pre-COVID? I would have said, you're dreaming. So what I'd like to know is, how are you seeing these strong macro results translating to sales on the ground? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the centres, uh, our portfolio has bounced back very strongly, Matt. You know, the traffic that we're seeing generated through the assets, particularly the larger assets, which were most affected through the, the depths of the pandemic, we're back close to pre-pandemic levels of traffic. Over 99% of retailers who had received a concession through that pandemic lockdown period, are back paying the full lease rent. Uh, we're seeing sales growth up strongly now uh, compared to, we're comparing now back to 2019. So pre-pandemic levels, our March sales results were up 7% against um, March of 2019. And our leasing demand is also very strong. We're getting very good interest in, in space generally. And I think that's partly due to the strength of the economic recovery. Um, and the sort of the amount of stimulus that's being pushed through the economy. But I, I think it's also very much a function of the attractiveness of the assets as destinations in their own right. I mean, I think 
we've uh, we are all felt very keenly the deprivations through the various lockdowns that we've experienced. And, you know, the, the shopping centres have really provided an outlet for people to get out, to meet friends, to uh, ex experience what the assets can provide, not just in terms of a marketplace, but in terms of an, an entertainment destination. Yeah, and, and Michael, that's despite that jump in online sales, isn't it? That's exactly right, Matt. And so I think the, the really good retailers have used the opportunity through the pandemic to strengthen the online parts of their businesses and really develop that omni-channel model that we were talking about earlier. And so, you know, it, it really does come back to the best way of a retailer being successful is to develop a range of distribution channels, uh, particularly physical and online, that means that they have a very sustainable business. And so those retailers that we're dealing with who are being very su successful in our assets and often you know, want to take more space, that's great for us because we're dealing with stronger businesses you know, who are growing, uh, who have significant space needs that we can provide for them, and they want to be in the assets that we own. So I think we've probably seen the evolution of that model, that, that omni-channel model, accelerate dramatically through the pandemic. And I think that's benefited the retailer community, but it's, it's very much benefited us as uh, retail asset owners as well. So, Michael, um, if I can ask you to just lift your horizon a little bit for us, um, and just give us your views on how you see retail assets evolving from here in, you know, in the post-COVID world. Yeah, and I think, Matt, we've seen, as you know, you and I have been around for long enough to see how much these assets have evolved over the last, you know, 30 years, say. And that's one of the great features, I think, of particularly the larger assets, their ability to continue to evolve to meet consumer needs. And we'll, we'll see that continue. So... You know, one of the one of the things that's becoming really clear now, and I think provides us with a great opportunity, is, is that old model um, of having kind of anchors, big store operators that have you know been responsible, largely responsible for for generating the traffic. You know that that model is really not the case. It's not it's not the prevailing model anymore. So the the traffic draw is really being generated by the, the broad mix of very powerful retailers that we have within the asset. And that's a whole range of specialty retailers, mini majors, the entertainment options that we have. And so they're all working very much in sync to generate that that traffic generation, you know, that we're seeing that's, uh, you know, really coming back strongly to the assets. So the opportunity for us to repurpose space that's not as productive as it used to be is there and you know that often provides us with opportunities to take retail space out and replace it with more productive higher end paying options and you know so we're for example we're working with our department store partners on providing them with the most efficient store footprints and in many cases that means we're proactively taking space back off them and repurposing that with a, a range of retail uses but then into other alternative uses as well, such as co-working, for example, you know, and even into we're exploring opportunities to provide, you know, sort of logistics options for our retailers in space that's not really strong traditional retailing space. So, you know, I think uh, there's plenty of options for us to continue to evolve the retail mix 
to make it stronger, more productive, and much more in line with what consumers are looking for. But then beyond the retail, the traditional retail footprint, we have these incredible assets that sit in these very strategic locations right in the centre of their communities, supported by fantastic transport connections, rail, bus, road networks. So these are amazing pieces of real estate. And we know that there are alternative uses, uh, mixed uses that um, very much interested in taking space adjacent to the retail core, which will very much complement the retail core. And that's across a whole range of uses such as office, uh, hotel, healthcare, education, and, and residential. So what, what we'll see, and we have you know 20 to 30 year master plans in place for our key town centre assets, we'll see these assets develop uh, across a whole range of uses, you know, over, over that time frame. And so they'll become very powerful town centres that provide a range of uses. And we're well underway with, with that process now. So we're well into the master planning, uh, into the implementation of those master plans across the key assets. We're developing a, an office tower, for example, at Eastland, adjacent to the train station for the Department of Transport. We're about to start on, on an office building up at Rabina. So we're well into the, you know, into the development of those master plans as we look forward. Well, Michael, certainly COVID has uh, changed the trading landscape and accelerated a number of trends and, and introduced new trends. And I'd like to thank you today for exploring these myriad of thematics that are uh, emerging in retail real estate space. And importantly, I think you're developing what will be the new narrative of the industry going forward. So thanks very much for, for that. It's also a great segue into the next episode in this two-part QPod series, during which I'll chat to QIC's General Manager of Leasing, Luke Young, about the implications of the increasing move to omni-channel business models. Keep an eye out for this episode, which will be launching soon. I'd also like to encourage you to take a moment to read our Investment Insights paper on e-commerce, which provides in-depth research to online penetration rates and our outlook for the future. Uh, you can find this on our QIC website. Just navigate to the Knowledge Centre. So thank you again, Michael, for your time today. Thank you, Matt. And I wish you all uh, best of the rest of the day and look forward to speaking to you again at the next QPod.